Well, we're beginning a new message series uh, this morning, and each year in the fall, I, I try to set apart three weeks um, to talk about stewardship. It's okay. Uh, I know that when we talk, mention the word stewardship, often what comes to mind is money, but you can relax. I'm not going to go there today. Uh, stewardship isn't lis- limited to our possessions. God has blessed us all richly in many ways. And he calls us to be good stewards or managers of everything that he pours into our lives. And this morning we're going to talk about a resource that we've all received in abundance. That he's poured into our lives in the past. He's pours it out on us every day. And we're all counting on receiving it in the future. It's something that we receive just for the asking. And sometimes without asking over and over and over again. And we are called to, like all of the resources that God pours into our life, to be stewards of this resource. And the resource that I'm talking about this morning is grace. We are called to be stewards of God's grace. The Apostle Paul wrote in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 3, he begins with these words, Surely you have heard about the stewardship of of God's grace that was given to me for you. Surely you've heard about the stewardship, the responsibility of being a steward of grace that God has given to me for you. Surely you've heard that God has given me this responsibility to administer grace to others, to apply it to their lives. And you know, when I read that, a couple of weeks ago, and I was working on this series, and I'd never heard a message, a stewardship message on grace before. And, and you know, I think when we think about stewardship, we, we think in terms of being, we don't think in terms of being stewards of grace. But I really like that Paul put it this way, uh, because we're all recipients of grace. Remember what grace is? We talked about that this summer in the series on grace. It's God's unmerited favor. We've all received that favor that we didn't deserve, right? That forgiveness that we didn't deserve. And we're called to pass that on to others. And, and the really awesome thing about being a steward of grace is that the supply is, that, is as limitless as our hearts allow it to be. Isn't that true? The supply of grace is as limitless as our hearts allow it to be. There is no shortage of grace. You know, it's not like money that you have to earn it before you can pass it on. Grace can't be earned. It's free. The supply is never-ending, and it's yours to give to whoever you want in an extravagant, unmerited quantities, just like God has given it to us. And when we talk about stewardship of money, you know, I think uh, often we want to know what's the bottom line. <laughs> How much do I have to give to still please God and, you know, meet all the requirements or whatever it is, you know. Uh, what's it, what is it that God asks of us, 10%? And then the follow-up question is, uh, now is that on my gross or my net? You know, we always have all these kinds of questions about what do we have to give. But grace, we should dole that out in generous quantities because God has been so generous in doling it out to us. 
Um, we are called as individuals to dole out grace. And the church should be stewards of God's many resources um, and above all be stewards of grace. We should be known as dispensaries of grace. Amen? And yet, you know, we've all heard the stories of ways that people have been hurt by the church instead of healed by the church, instead of having the healing balm of grace applied to their lives. They've been hurt by the church or judged by the church when they should be accepted by the church. And this series, this um, message this morning, is to remind us, both you and me, of why we're here. Uh, Everyone spends eternity somewhere. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. And people's eternities are in the balance. Jesus created the church to dispense grace, to love well, and to tell the story, his story in ways that each generation can hear and understand. We're to be stewards of God's amazing grace. We're going to look at a story uh, that Jesus told about doling out grace. It's found in Luke chapter 14. Um, I think I forgot to bring my Bible. I'll just read it from the screen. But before we read the parable... Uh, We need to talk about the setting or the context that this story takes place in. Uh, Jesus was invited to dinner at the home of a, it says, prominent Pharisee. So this is someone who has standing in the community. And he noticed that when people were arriving, they were kind of pushing and trying to push themselves to the head of the table and vying for the best seats at the table closest to the host and um, taking these seats of honor. And apparently the guest list was kind of made up of all the up-and-coming, you know, the CEOs and the uh, president of Microsoft and that kind of thing. And uh, Because Jesus gives them some corrective instructions about preparing their guest list in the future. And these are his instructions. Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner... Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, um, for us, you know, this seems maybe difficult to think about we got to invite the lame and you know that means elevators and the blind means a braille bulletin you know Uh, yet it's consistent with what we expect Jesus to say isn't it and to teach and then um, the passage goes on when one of those at the table uh, with him heard this he said to Jesus Blessed are those who eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus uh, replied to him by telling a story. He said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field. And I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. 
Anybody there? Nope. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. You know, maybe a new car or something. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Very people that he just said they should be inviting. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. We're mixing a couple of sermon series here together. but <laughs> So he says, go out and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So that my house will be full. That's Jesus' heart. That the banquet table and the kingdom of God will be full. That his church would be full. That everyone gets an invitation. That no one is left on the outside. That grace flows out of our churches, down the streets, out into the highways and byways, and many, as many as will come be gathered in. To be stewards of God's grace, we need to have Jesus' heart for people. We have to be willing to see the people that he loves and to get out of our comfort zones and find ways to reach them and invite them to the banquet. This morning, if you want to pull out your message notes, we're going to look at three ways that we as a church and individuals can be stewards of God's grace. And the first is to accept and love each other as Jesus loved and accepted us. The church is at its best when we're loving Jesus, loving as Jesus loved us. Uh, when we're stewards of grace and forgiveness to each other within the church, then that draws the attention of people from outside the church. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. Look at John uh, thirteen thirty four, and this is our memory verse, 34 and 35. So let's read it together. John thirteen thirty four, 34, new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. John 34 and 13, 34 and 35. All right. So I think it's I think it's right in your bullet, your message notes. This is the starting place for being stewards of grace. We are called to love and care for one another. The church is God's training ground for developing Christ-like character. Uh, we are our family. It's kind of like uh, your family's at home. That's the place where we learn to really love, isn't it? And we learn to give and receive grace as a community uh, together with one another as we work to accomplish the mission that God's given us of stewarding grace to the world. And sometimes, you know, that will involve differing opinions on how to get it done, but we are to expend, extend grace to each other. 
And we have to do this for two reasons. And the first is that Jesus commanded us to do it. He didn't say, I have a new suggestion for you. He said, I've got a new commandment for you, that you love one another. And then the second reason is we need to do this well, because as we dole out grace to one another and love each other uh, within the church, that's attractive to people outside the church. One of the primary reasons that the church is in decline in America is that people have been hurt by the church, and so they've left, and other people have heard their stories, and so they've just stayed away. The starting place for being a church who doles out grace in the world is to throw throw it out generously here in our church, speaking the truth in love when needed, forgiving one another as we go. Love and accept one another within the church. That's the starting place. And then number two, we have to be willing to go out into the highways and byways and compel people to come in. Grace is costly. Uh, Jesus died to open the way to the kingdom of God for people. And many people in the younger generations don't even know the story of God's love. And um, many aren't coming into the church. So we need to be willing to go out to them. And you can be a steward of God's grace by investing your lives in the people that God has put in your life. Be there for people. Be a friend to people. Watch for opportunities to invite them to take the next step in their faith journey or to invite them into the church. You, you never know how God will use that in their life. When I was a pastor at the New Church Start in Battle Creek, we had a band that played for worship on Sunday mornings, and our drummer moved, so we had to find another drummer. And one of the band members uh, remembered a friend from way back that played the drums, and so he gave him a call and asked him if he would be willing to come and play drums for us, and he did. He, he wasn't a Christian, but he came and he played drums uh, for us on Sunday mornings. And after several months, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And on our third anniversary as a church, um, we had a time during the church service when we invited people to stand and, and tell how they got connected to the church and you know, what it had meant in their life. And this man stood up and he told about how when he got that call to come and play the drums, uh, he was homeless and he was uh, sleeping nights in Bailey Park. He was going through a divorce. He had lost everything. He didn't have uh, a home anymore. He didn't have any place to stay. He had no one to turn to. And when that call came and he got connected to the church and some friends there uh, that walked with him through all of that. That was the turning point in his life. He found not only a reason to live, um, but new life in Jesus Christ because someone made an invitation. And then because the church was there to show God's love in real and tangible ways. Who do you know that God may be calling you to pray for to be a steward of grace and extend an invitation to. And then number three, use your influence uh, to create a church where all people in all generations feel welcome. We all have influence, right? Uh, we all have influence. And the religious leaders use their influence to keep people out of the kingdom of God. 
They were very concerned about their traditions and their rules, uh, and they eventually crucified Jesus because he was inviting people in who they didn't think was supposed to be in. Everyone in this room has influence, and to be a steward of God's grace, we need to use our influence to create a church where people of all backgrounds and all generations feel welcome. There are people all around our churches. These are people that Jesus died for who are living without God. And God has put us here to reach them. He's put us here to reach them, you and I. And we can't leave it to the next generation uh, because those generations are mostly missing from the church. And many of them don't even know the story of the basic story of the gospel to hand on to the next generation. I, I saw one study um, that showed that while 65% of people who were over 70 could explain the basic gospel message, that Jesus came, he died for my sins, rose again, and invites me into new life, you know, that I can have life uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Basic, just some basic summary like that. 65% of people over 70 can summarize the gospel. Only 15% of the people ages 40 to 50 could uh, state the basic message of the gospel. And only 4% of adults 20 to 40 knew the basic message of the Bible. Four out of a hundred that knew about Jesus' uh, death on the cross for them, knew it was meant for them. The crisis in the church is a generational crisis. Uh, the last census, when asked what their religious affiliation was, 34%, a third of the young adults in their 20s, checked the box, no religious affiliation. All through the Bible, God commands his people to pass the faith on to the generations following them. Has anybody read any of those passages? They're in there. We're supposed to teach God's ways to make the stories of the faith um, real to people, pass them on to the next generation. People, the church is missing the boat in America today. And, you know, I can give you a ton of statistics but I don't really think it's necessary to put a bunch of numbers up on the slide when we can look around ourselves and see, you know, their 20s and 30-year-olds are not flooding into our churches today. We have to be intentional about finding ways to go out into the country lanes and live out the gospel in such fascinating ways and grace-filled ways that people are compelled to come in. But we also have to create spaces that are welcoming and services that are inviting so when they do come in, they find a place that fits. We need worship services that communicate the gospel in ways that young people understand with music that speaks to their hearts. And we find ourselves in a position as a church in a time of crisis, and um, who knows, but that God has put you here in this church at this time in history for such a time as this. Who knows, but that God has put this church in this location for such a time as this. Everyone has influence. And you can use your influence to keep the church from making changes to connect with younger generations, or you can use your influence to lead the church forward 
and help it develop ministries and worship services that help us connect people to Jesus Christ. And, you know, I selected the message series title uh, because the church is facing a crisis, and it's somewhat like the crisis that Esther faced 2,000 years ago. Everybody know this story of Esther? Uh, young Julie, Jewish woman who uh, was raised by her uncle Mordecai, and then through an unusual set of circumstances, she finds herself the queen of Persia. She, uh, her husband, King Xerxes, is the ruler of the empire of Persia that extends all the way from India down to the Nile River in Egypt, this huge empire, and she's queen. And Esther became queen at a time when her people were in exile. Uh, sometime after, uh, they were kind of dispersed all throughout the Persian Empire. They weren't in Jer uh, Jerusalem and Judah. Uh, some of them were, but not most of them. And sometime after she became queen, an enemy of the Jews uh, established himself as an official in the king's court, convinced the king to sign a decree and set a date for the complete annihilation of the Jewish people. And the king issued this decree not knowing that his wife was a Jew, and he was signing his wife's death sentence. And when Esther's uncle Mordecai hears about this plot, he and all the people, Jewish people go into mourning, he sent word to Esther instructing her, you need to go to the king and plead for your people. And this seems like a pretty reasonable thing for us. I mean, she's married to the guy. Why couldn't she just go in and talk to him? But the glitch was that in that setting, uh, you weren't allowed to approach the king and without permission. If Esther was to go into the throne room without being asked or invited, Unless the king held up his scepter to her, then she would be immediately executed. And that seemed like a very likely outcome to her since the previous king, a queen, had been exiled for crossing the king. So Mordecai's plan didn't sound like plan A to Esther. Uh, maybe plan B or C or something, but she wasn't really ready to be thrown under the bus And uh, if there was another way. So she told Mordecai, you know, um, I don't think that this is a that great of an idea. There's a pretty good chance that I won't come out of this with my life. And so Mordecai, uh, he doesn't let her off the hook. In chapter 4, we find his response. He says, Don't, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. I hope you're listening to these words. Go ahead. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. That's the underlying theme for this series, that we are here for such a time as this. And in many ways, like Esther, we find ourselves in a unique time in history. It's a time when if we don't act, people... We are sent to reach and rescue from an eternity without God will go unreached. Esther risked everything to rescue her people. She said, if I die, I die. Jesus gave everything to rescue you and me. And now we have to decide, are, what are we willing to do? How willing are we to make sacrifices, to go out into the highways and byways and compel people to come in, to make changes in our churches, and to dole out grace to the next generations. 
What if God is counting on you? What if you're part of this church right now at this time in history for such a time as this? You know, we've all experienced grace. And while grace is free, sometimes it's costly. And to be a steward of God's grace and to dole it out to everyone sometimes requires sacrifices. Uh, To forgive isn't always easy, is it? This church building is here because somebody believed that if they made sacrifices of time and of money, that there would be a place that people could walk through that door and they would find grace. Grace is costly, but the rewards are eternal and significant. Our church is moving out and reaching out in courageous ways. And I thank you for the sacrifices that you've already made. I I really want to encourage you to come to the all-church meeting as we discern and discover what it is that God will have us do next to to reach these people who are unreached, who are going to go on to eternity without Christ if someone doesn't um, find a way to connect them to Jesus Christ. On the back of your connection card, there's um, some ways to respond to the message this week. The first is to memorize the verse from John 13, 34, and 35. And then there's a place there to to commit to coming to the all-church meeting this Wednesday as we listen to God for guidance. And then the third says, I'm going to watch for opportunities to dole out grace this week. How can you be used by God Uh, to make his love and his grace visible to others. Would you pray with me? God, please uh, don't let us leave this morning with the same level of commitment to your church and to your kingdom uh, that we came in with. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. Give us the passion that we need to go out. to reach out to people, people who are have broken homes, broken lives, people who have it all together and don't know, God, that there's an eternity that they're facing, God. There are so many people around us that don't know about your love. Please give us the courage to, to reach out to them and find ways to connect with them. Give us the resources that we need, God, for such a time as this and the courage to do what you call us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name.